Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. Today's episode is going to be a little shorter, I hope, as I answer a listener question from Paul Bickley. He said, maybe a topic for a podcast could be about the exposure lock button. When do you use it? How do you use it? Do you need to use it? It never seems to get talked about. Thanks so much for your question, Paul. Even though it's kind of a basic one, I like to take these topics on every so often and have to have to do with operating a camera. I want to provide tips to people just starting out, and I don't want to have every episode be about post-processing or technical things like I, t- I tend to focus on. It's, it's my wheelhouse. It's where I feel comfortable, and I tend to take on the topics that have to do with that, but I need to do these others too, so thanks so much for the suggestion. As a quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photo taco through the Instagram by messaging at photo taco podcasts or through email, uh, photo taco podcast at gmail.com. No question too basic or too complicated for the show. I don't know everything, but if the question is one that I don't know, I'll find an expert or I'll research the heck out of it until I become an expert <laughs> and we'll go through it. Okay. There are, seems to be to me two questions, two primary questions here for Paul. And I have a couple of questions that came up to me as I was prepping for the podcast that I'll answer to. I'll go through as well. First off is when and why would you need to use auto exposure lock? And the second is kind of the hands on camera technique to use it. So let's start with the when and why, and then we'll get to the hands on technique. To understand kind of the when and why, you really have to have a firm understanding of a couple of other principles that you need to build off of. One of them is the various shooting modes of your camera. You need to know the different way your cameras work in automatic mode, in semi-automatic mode, or in manual mode. I haven't done a photo taco episode on the differences between those modes specifically. I've, I kind of addressed them across a lot of the different photo taco episodes. And I'll add that to my list of what to do in the future. But go just go take a look at what the differences are between auto, semi-auto, and manual. And the reason that's important for this episode is that for most camera bodies, the auto exposure lock button won't do auto exposure lock unless you're in semi-auto. Some of them might work with automatic modes, but where none of it will do anything is in manual mode for the most part. I can't speak for all camera bodies and how it works. But for the ones that I'm familiar with, that is how it works. And uh, so so you, you have to be, I'm going to say, in semi-automatic is the most common place where this would be a thing. Because automatic mode, most manufacturers assume you're not going to be complicated enough. You're not going to know enough about what you're doing to even know how to press that button and utilize it. And semi-auto mode is uh, where you may get advanced enough where you want to help provide to your camera a little bit more information about what you want to do with regard to exposure, even though you're letting the camera be in charge of it. And that's kind of what the semi-auto mode does. All right, I want to have a tiny rant here for a moment. In an episode a while back in June 2015, I talked about shooting in manual because there's been this really myth, I'll say, or a lot of professional experienced photographers will say something like, real photographers shoot in manual mode. They don't shoot in any of those other modes. I say baloney. The camera is a tool and manual mode is one way to use that tool. 
Nobody would tell a pilot that only real pilots use gauges and don't use GPS. Now, a, a real pilot needs to be capable of using everything available to them to fly the, the plane. And to me, the same hold truth for, holds true for a photographer. Just because you may be comfortable in manual mode doesn't mean you couldn't have situations arise where you want to use aperture priority or shutter priority mode. Knowing your camera inside and out so that you can adapt to every situation and adapt quickly, that's the focus. That's the key. If you take a shot not in manual mode, it doesn't make your shot any less good. (laughs) It's terrible grammar. It doesn't make your shot any less valuable or, or mean that it's a terrible shot because you didn't have the mode dial switched to manual. That's baloney. All right. So that short rant aside, let's get back to the exposure lock discussion. Unsurprisingly, exposure lock is a way to lock the exposure (laughs) settings so that your camera doesn't change them. I like to think of it as a way that you can tell your camera, give it some insight into what it is you're trying to do so that it will expose things correctly. If you're shooting in manual mode, your camera doesn't have the ability to change any of the exposure settings. All three values of the exposure triangle being shutter speed, aperture and ISO are entirely up to you in manual mode and your camera can't change it, right? But in semi-auto, let's assume we're going to talk aperture priority. It fits with the use case that I'm going to walk through. If you shoot an aperture priority, then your camera gets to change the shutter speed and potentially the ISO, but the shutter speed will be the value that is mostly going to change. Going to change that to be faster and slower based on what you're shooting and what's in the scene and what it evaluates to being there. I think the best way to illustrate this will be uh, the, the exposure lock feature is to think about a shooting situation of a portrait with a really dark foreground and a really bright background. Let's say an ocean sunset photo where the sun is, let's say, right on the horizon, just about to sink over the horizon. It's still very, very bright in the background, and it's probably even brighter because it's reflecting off the water. But then that foreground is pretty significantly in shadow in comparison to the background. It might not seem that way to your eyes as much as it would be to your camera. When you take a photo, if you are in aperture priority, if you do a good job focusing on the people and you take the shot, your camera is going to try to expose the scene and it's most likely going to make the people be in a silhouette. They're going to be very dark compared to the sun because it's so bright in the background. And that's going to be kind of the default mode. Now, if you understand metering modes, then you'll know your camera's really little chance to figure that all by itself. There are things that you could do with metering modes to change that. And it's another way besides exposure lock that you could give your camera a hint about how you want it to automatically expose the scene. If you want to know more about that, go check out a photo taco episode from January 2016 called Metering Modes Explained, where I go through all of them. Or you can just search, pull up the Google and search for photo space, taco space, metering modes explained. And it should be one of the first results that comes up. And you can go give that a listen about how you could approach this situation totally different from exposure lock. But getting back to exposure lock with the camera and aperture priority, in order to get that exposure right, you have you you could change the composition of the scene so that it no longer has this really drastic dynamic range imbalance where there's something super bright in the background and super dark in the foreground. 
by doing something, let, let's say you would just kind of lower the camera down a bit. You'd maybe point it at the beach and the feet of the people that you're trying to shoot, kind of take the sun out of the scene so that it's no longer there. And now when your camera tries to use the automatic metering to figure out how it should expose things, you will get something that's going to properly expose that foreground, right? But you that that composition's terrible. The people aren't even in the scene. You don't want to take it that way. So what you do on a Nikon camera, well, we're going to get into, yeah, let's get into the specifics now. That, that'll make a, a lot more sense. Let's go Nikon as the camera. Um, you know, but before we do, I'm going to very quickly thank today's sponsor for the episode. It's the Improve Photography Retreat. For the first time ever, many hosts from the Improve Photography Network are going to be gathering together in Phoenix, Arizona in March 2017 to tease some classes, but more importantly, get out and shoot with the retreat attendees. A little like a photography conference, but we hope it ends up being a lot more fun, more like a vacation or a retreat where you're doing a lot of photography. We're really excited about it. And as, as of this recording, there are less than 20 tickets remaining. So if it sounds like something you'd like to do, you'd like to come shoot with me or Jim or Connor, or Erica, Nick, head over to improvephotographyretreat.com and sign up today. Okay. So back to how you do this. Let's, let's, let's do this Nikon specifically first. Most, because I'm a Canon shooter and I tend to do Canon as my examples, I actually researched and looked up and played with how you do this on an Nikon camera. So, and and it, frankly, it's easier. <laughs> it's simpler on an Nikon camera. We'll get to that in a second. So what you would do, again, you got the camera pointed down. You, that's not the shot you want. You want to get back up to the people and you want to get them composed. Probably use a rule of thirds a bit and and make sure that you have the sun in the right spot and all of that but you don't want your camera to change the exposure settings while you're doing that. So on a Nikon camera, there's this very prominently labeled button, AEL slash AFL on the back. That stands for auto exposure lock, AEL, and auto focus lock, AFL. We're not going to go through focus lock at all. Some of the cameras, some of the Nikon cameras let you change the functionality of that button so that it does like completely independent stuff too, or change whether or not you do auto exposure, auto focus, or both, or neither. You, you have some configuration ability there. But let's just assume for right now, because this episode's ex, uh, focused on exposure lock, that the button only does exposure lock. It's Maybe you went and changed the menu settings so that it doesn't do focus lock at all. It's just exposure lock. Okay, so now what you would do is with the camera pointed down, you press and hold the AEL slash AFL button. That's going to lock in your camera. You're telling your camera, I want you to use the exposure settings you have right now and not change them. Even though you're in automatic or semi-automatic mode with aperture priority, I don't want you to change the exposure settings until I release the button. Then you raise the camera back up, still holding the button down, and you compose, you do everything else you want to do to get the shot that you want, and then take the push, press the shutter button, still holding the AEL AFL button down that locked in the exposure. Your camera is not going to change anything. Even though you recomposed, you brought that bright sun back into the photo. It's going to stay the same. That's what exposure lock does. All right. So that's kind of how it would work on Nikon for Canon. It's not quite as trivial. <laughs> the functionality is the same, but their default implementation or the one that's on most of their cameras, if not all of their digital cameras doesn't work the same. And it's because it is, 
it is linked to the metering timer on the camera and it's kind of confusing. Now you can just hold the button too. And so it can work similar to how the Nikon one does, but um, they didn't want to have to make you have the dexterity or, or learn your, your hands have to figure out how to learn to do this. So they wanted to make it that you can press and release the button and still get exposure lock. And so the default implementation where they call it in the documentation, they call it the conventional exposure lock. Um, the way it works is you press the asterisk button. So first off, it's an asterisk button. It's labeled with an asterisk. It's not labeled with AEL for auto exposure lock. It's labeled an asterisk button. I'd love to find out why they thought an asterisk button was the way they should label this. It really doesn't matter much, but it'd be interesting to me to figure out why. I don't have a clue. But uh, asterisk button by default on Canon bodies is configured so that when you are in aperture or um, shutter priority or program mode, then you when you push and release the button, it will enable the auto exposure lock feature until the metering timer runs out. And that's confusing too, because on some camera bodies, you can change what the metering timer duration is. And on some, you can't. I think the default on most of them is going to be six seconds. And some of them, you can't even change it. So that means you press and release the button. And for six seconds, that exposure lock is going to be locked. It's, your exposure is going to be locked. You can recompose and you don't have to hold down. So that's kind of a nice thing. You don't have to hold it. It does take a bit of hand dexterity to do that. And, you know, so I, there's arguments on both sides. But anyway, that's how the conventional one works. Now, then it releases after six seconds if you don't do anything or it releases when you push the shutter button on most cameras on some cameras. Again, more differences based on the camera body. It will if you took a picture and then push the shutter button halfway down again, right after within two seconds, then it will still be locked. The exposure lock will still be there and you could take another shot. Um, that's the conventional one. Super confusing. I think really tough to use to remember how this thing works. Now there's on some few select Canon bodies. They have a different feature that they call auto exposure lock and hold. And it works way better, in my opinion, than, than either of the approaches because it's, it makes sense. It's tied to the timeout of the camera going to sleep that will turn it off. Or to say, maybe better said, it turns off when you either press the button again, the asterisk button, or your camera turns off, either going to sleep or you actually turn it off yourself, hitting the on-off switch. So that makes a ton of sense to me. If you wanted to use this, you again, we have the camera pointed down at the feet of the people. You hit the button and release it on some Canon bodies that have auto lock and hold. Then you can recompose and there's no timeout. There's nothing you don't have to worry about. Oh, I only have six seconds to take this shot or I'm going to lose the auto lock. And then you can shoot and you can shoot and you can shoot and you can shoot. And then it doesn't turn off until you hit that auto exposure lock button again, or you turn your camera off. Seems like a pretty reasonable way to make that work. So that's hands on how it is that you go through that, that auto exposure lock. Okay, so now you know a little bit about why you might use it and how you do hands on with the camera. 
The question that next came up to me that I was interested in is if anyone's actually using this feature. Because to be honest, I'm not. I don't use the feature at all. Uh, in fact, I, I hadn't used it on purpose ever before a listener had asked me to cover it. And I played around with it a little bit as I prepared for this podcast. At least I never did it on purpose. I, I didn't know what it was. I'd read about it. I'm a geeky guy that does that kind of thing. I read the whole user's manual all the way through. So I kind of knew roughly how to use it. But I've been a back button focus shooter forever. And even if I'm in aperture priority mode, I still use back button, which means I've remapped the asterisk button on my Canon camera to do back button focus and has nothing to do with exposure lock. And uh, so I, I just I never did do it. I do remember a time when I saw the asterisk icon in the viewfinder by accident really early on as I was using my camera, but I didn't even know how to what it was doing or how to get rid of it. So I just kind of turned my camera off and back on to, to clear it, which worked. But um, just because I don't know or I don't use a feature doesn't mean it couldn't be really, really useful. So I asked the question of the Photo Taco Nation on Facebook group and social media. Yes, I just said Photo Taco Nation. And I asked them if they'll tell me if they use the feature. The possible answers I gave were yes, occasionally, no, or what is exposure lock? Those were the four possible answers. And here's how it broke down. 57% said they never use the feature, which which implies they know what it is. They know how to use it. They just choose not to. The next biggest response was 24% said, what is exposure lock? It's kind of interesting because that means the two together, those are both groups that represent they don't use it. They either know how and choose not to or they don't know how, but they're still not using it. And then there was at 12% people said occasionally and at 7% they said Yes, they use it. And I'm going to ask you guys who said yes, that you use it. Go over to our Facebook group or find it on Twitter or on Instagram and comment for me about what it is you use it for. Why do you use it frequently? Is there a use case where it's making a meaningful impact to you? I can't think of how it is. This would be a feature really meaningful to me, but that doesn't mean it's not a useful feature. And there's probably something I'm missing. In fact, I think that's very likely because why would all the camera manufacturers take the time to put this feature in there across all of their camera bodies if it isn't valuable to use? So I'm, I feel like I must be missing something here. There must be something, some use case, maybe it's a, a shooting scenario that I don't do much of, why that would be an important thing. I did come through one thought process that maybe makes some sense, although I still am not convinced that I'm going to use exposure lock. And here's the, the one use case where maybe it has a bit more potential. And that would be in the panoramas. I do a ton of panorama shooting. It's one of my favorite forms of photography to do a landscape panorama. I really kind of like the challenge of not only what it, how it is you take the photo, but then the post-processing of it. And it's just a cool thing to me to be able to produce images that where you, you spend that much effort to get there. I, I kind of like that. I wish I did more of it than I do. Okay, so I shoot manual when I do that. I shoot with back button focus, so that locks the focus. So my camera's not going to change the uh, any of the exposure values and it's not going to change the focus while I'm doing it because of how I choose to shoot. But I also do shoot auto 
white balance. And that's a massive topic. There's a lot of people who would definitely argue with me on that, that I shouldn't shoot white balance. If you want to know more about auto white balance, go search for imp- uh, photo taco white balance. I have some ep- an episode on that too. Okay. So I shoot white balance, auto white balance, which means that could change from shot to shot to shot as I'm doing my, my landscape, my panoramas. Now it hasn't proven to be too much of a problem. Uh, maybe I just haven't hit the right scene yet, but that's, it's, not proven to be really difficult. The the white balance isn't changing dramatically as I've been shooting panoramas, but it could. It's auto white balance. So the camera could decide to really change just even from one shot to the next, just between two shots. It could seriously change. And, uh, and so that's a danger. And there could be an argument that maybe I should shoot in aperture priority and use um, exposure lock so that it will lock the exposure in and lock the white balance in. At least on my Canon camera, I validated that that's how it functions. It will also lock the white balance. So that auto mode gets uh, taken off as well for white balance. And, uh, and then it will be consistent. I take all of my shots and, and put them in and then uh, and it will stick. But Instead, I think what I will do, and and I'm kind of glad I went through that anyway, just to think about, wow, you know, white balance could bite me as I'm doing my my panoramas. Um, What I should do is just not do auto white balance. I should just dial in a white balance. And it really wouldn't matter which white balance I chose. That's not really critical because I shoot raw. So that means my white balance adjustments that I can make in post-processing are really, really good. So, I mean, of course, I'd do the, the best I could to get it right in camera and choose the, an appropriate white balance for the scene I'm shooting. But it really, when it comes down to it, wouldn't matter. And I can change it all in post, but at least I'll all be the same. And I won't have to be trying to guess and compare them between the two. So, you know, I still don't think I'm going to use exposure lock. But there's potentially a use case where it could make a little bit more sense why I might have an advantage if I shoot shot in aperture priority and then use exposure lock just to lock in the white balance. So again, I'd love to hear from any listeners where this plays it like a critical role or some feature that you think is super important to your photography somehow. Tell me how that is that you're using because I'd love to have uh, maybe more thought on how what it is I'm missing because I, I must be missing something. Hopefully that explains the answer to that question about what it is, how it is, how you use it, and why you might use it. Um, and you found it helpful. All right, that's it for the episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Don't forget to check out the other product podcasts on the Improved Photography Network. The Portrait Sessions awesome podcast. I love listening to portrait sessions. They do such a great job, Erica, Connor, Nick, in talking about different tips that helps me do my own portrait photography. Tripod, I love that one too. I love when they they talk about the landscape photography they do. We should go and do a panorama specific episode on that one. And then the Improve Photography Podcast. Um, I'm on there myself several times uh, a month. And so check that one out. It's it's a lot of fun where we talk about news and gear and, and other photo tips and very similar nature, but not the similar topics. We don't cover the same things in the Improved Photography Podcast as we do over at The Mothership, the website that makes all of these podcasts possible. And that's the improvephotography.com website, where again, news, gear, and other photo tip articles that really can help you to improve your photography. We have some wonderful content being updated regularly over there. And you're missing out if you don't make improvephotography.com a part of your day. All right. It is the best way to improve your photography. 
views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!